Chapter 16 of Music Talks with Children. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maggie Travers. Music Talks with Children by Thomas Tapper. Chapter 16 The Hands. The skill of their hands still lingers. John Ruskin. In one of our talks, speaking about the thoughts in our hearts, we said that they crept from the heart into our arms and hands, into the music we play, and off to those who hear us, causing in them the thoughts by which they judge us. Thus we see that as Janus stands sentinel at the doorway of the year, so the hands stand between the secret world of thought within and the questioning world of curiosity without. If we were not in such a hurry usually, we might stop to think that everyone, all over the world, is training the hands for some purpose, and such a variety of purposes. One strives to get skill with tools, another is a conjurer, another spends his life among beautiful and delicate plants, another reads with his fingers. In any one of these, or of the countless other ways that the hands may be used, no one may truly be said to have skill until delicacy has been gained. Even in a forcible use of the hands, there must be the greatest delicacy in the guidance. You can readily see that, when the hands are working at the command of the heart, they must be ever ready to make evident the meaning of the heart, and that is expressed in truthful delicacy. Not only are all the people in the world training their hands, but they are, as we have already said, training them in countless different ways. Have you ever stopped to think of another matter? That all things about us, except the things that live, have been made by hands? Of all the things that live, very many are cared for by the hands. These thoughts will suggest something to us. Those things which are good and beautiful suggest noble use of the hands, while those which are of no service, harmful and destructive, show an ignoble use. But noble and ignoble use of the hands is only another evidence of thought. Thought that is pure in the heart guides the hands to beautiful ends. And if the heart is impure in its thoughts, of course you know what follows. I have always been impressed in reading the books of John Ruskin to note how many times he speaks about the hands. Very truly, indeed, does he recognize that back of all handwork there is heart thought, commanding, directing, actually building. It shows everywhere. The building of a wall with the stones rightly placed demands honor. The builder may be rude, but if his hands place the stones faithfully one upon another, there is surely honor in his heart. If it were not so, his hands could not work faithfully. If the work is finer, like the work in gold which many have learned eagerly in former times, in Rome and Florence, still the spirit must be the same. So we see, that be the work coarse or fine, it is either case prompted by the same kind of heart-thought. Many times in these talks I have spoken of Ruskin's words to you, for two reasons. First, his words are always full of meaning, because he was so full of thought when he wrote them. And second, I would have you, from the first days, know something of him and elect him to your friendship. Many times he will speak to you in short, rude words, impatiently too, but never mind that, his heart is warm and full of good. 
Now from what was said a moment ago about the stonework and the goldwork, we can understand these words. No distinction exists between artist and artisan, except that of higher genius or better conduct. Learn from this, then. Be the work of our hands what it may. Its first quality and the first things for which it shall be judged are its honor, its faithfulness, and its sincerity. Of themselves the hands are absolutely without power. They cannot move. They cannot do good things nor bad things. They can do nothing until we command them. And how shall this be done? Surely I can understand it if you have wearied of this talk a little, but I have said all the things just for the sake of answering this question, so that you should understand it. How do we command? Not the hands alone, but all we do and say. By our thoughts. Without them there is no power whatever. Until they have commanded, the hands cannot make a motion. The feet must have direction ordered to them. The tongue must be bidden to speak, and without the command there is nothing. Of course, all these talks are about thoughts, but we shall need a little time to speak of them particularly, and little by little it will be clear to us all why the hands need to act thoughtfully. Now the harm of the world is done by two forces, by evil thought and by thoughtlessness. Then it is no wonder that Ruskin speaks much about the hands, for it is thought that gives them guidance. Can you wonder that when he says, The idle and loud of tongue, he associates the useless hand? These things go together, and together they come either from evil thought or from lack of thought. The moment Ruskin speaks of one who uses his hands with honor, his words glow. So he speaks of the laborer, describing him as silent, serviceable, honorable, keeping faith, untouched by change, to his country and to heaven. Thus, when we are earnestly asked to do something worthy with the hands every day, we can understand why. I do not mean one worthy thing, but some one particular worthy act, especially thought out by us. To do that daily with forethought will purify the heart. It will teach us to devote the hands to that which is worthy. Then another old truth that everyone knows will be clear to us. As a man, or a child for that matter, thinketh in his heart, so he is. Bit by bit, the thoughts of this talk will become clear to you. You will feel more friendly toward them. Then you will really begin to think about hands, your own hands and everybody's hands. You will become truthful of hand, guiding your own thoughtfully, watching those of others carefully and you will find that in the smallest task of your hands you can put forethought, while every use to which people put their hands will teach you something if you observe carefully. It may be folding a paper, or picking up a pen, or anything else quite common. That matters not. Common things, like any others, can be done rightly. By this observation we shall see hands performing all sorts of odd tricks. The fingers are drumming, twitching, twirling, closing, opening, doing a multitude of motions which mean what? Nothing, do you say? Oh, no, indeed, not nothing, but something. Fingers and hands which perform all these unnecessary motions are not being commanded by the thoughts and are acting as a result of no thought, that is, of thoughtlessness. Everyone does it, do you say? No, that is not true. Many do these things, but those who command their thoughts never allow it. 
if we never moved the hands except in a task when we commanded them we should soon become hand skilled the useless movements i have spoken of unskill the hand they are undoing motions and teach us that we must govern ourselves if we would become anything do you know how it is that people do great things they command themselves having determined to do something they work and work and work to finish it at any cost that gives strength and character having observed the hands and their duties we can readily see the kind of task they must do in music it is just the same kind of task as laying a wall of stone every motion must be done honorably everything must be thought out in the mind and heart before the hands are called upon to act wise people always go about their tasks this way unwise people try the other way of acting first and thinking it out afterward and of course they always fail you can now understand that a great pianist is one who has great thought with which to command the hands and to be sure they will obey his commands at once he has made them obey him continuously for years this teaching the hands to obey is called practice the italian artist giotto once said you may judge my masterhood of craft by seeing that i can draw a circle unerringly End of chapter 16 Recording by Maggie Travers.